are listening to the FCS Leadership Podcast. Hey everyone and welcome back to the FCF Leadership Podcast where we have been focusing on the Enneagram personality system. Our goal with this podcast is to help you lead through a personality trait. We have chosen one characteristic of each Enneagram. We'll look through that characteristic through a psychological lens and a biblical lens and then of course a leadership lens. So today we are talking about the Enneagram 6 which is the loyalist. And I just have to say, before we go any further, if you haven't watched the first two episodes, please go back and watch them. You'll learn so much, and it will give you a nice base for what we're talking about today. Uh, So anyway, we're talking about the six, the loyalist, and the trait we are going to focus on is fear. To help me dive into the six is our very own Cookie Brothers. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. <laughs> Cookie is the CEO of Faith Christian Fellowship International. Before she was our leader here, she and her husband were senior pastors of a church for, I think, 16 years. 18. 18 years. She has lived in South Africa, Canada, and of course, America, pastoring, being in charge of intercessory prayer, leading worship, and helping in basically every part in the church. (laughs) She has been married to her husband, Fred, for 40 years, has two kids, which I am one of, and she has four grandsons. She is a perfect example of not being afraid to step into the unknown and trust God every step of the way. Thank you. You're welcome. What a lovely intro. (laughs) I wrote that. She didn't know I was going to write that. (laughs) I'm all embarrassed. (laughs) So this is my mother as well. If you can't tell, we do look a lot alike. But thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. You are not a six. No, I am not. I searched high and low for a six. Could not find one. If you were a six, I'm sorry. I have failed you. I could not find you. (laughs) But... Um, I thought with Miss Cookie's experience in all different types of ministry, she could be a perfect uh, sounding board for how to lead someone that is a six. You've led so many different people all through mm-hmm. the years, every different personality type, trait. Mm-hmm. You've helped people come out of so many things. So I thought you would just be a great person to talk well, thank to. Thank you. I appreciate it. Also, it is a goal to have everybody in the office on one of these Um, My favorite, I think, is going to have to be Haley, who is a nine. And if you don't know anything about nines, they are peacekeepers. And I think it's going to be really interesting because she's also very introvert. Very introvert and cannot hide her expressions. It's hilarious. It's awesome. So, okay, just so people can get to know you a little bit better. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Um, Of course, I know the sometimes. Yeah. British style tea. Yes. Which is funny because we talked to Jamie about that, and Jamie is Irish, uh-huh. and so he was like, "I bet they put the milk in first with the tea bag." Is that what Auntie Di does? Uh, yeah, she does. Does she? Mm-hmm. He told me that's so wrong. Uh huh. I don't do that, and she gets mad at me because I don't use milk. I use half and half. Half and half. And uh, Di is very frugal, so she barely dips the tea bag in. She gets as many uses of the tea bag as she does. Really? <laughs> oh, that's cute. I miss her. I know. Uh, Diana Stacy, if you're watching, I miss you very much. We love you dearly. <laughs> so, okay, uh, Twizzlers or Red Vines? Twizzlers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Milk or dark chocolate? Uh, dark. <laughs> I used to love. I every Friday night we would go to a. Um, video store Uh Hollywood video was not far from our house Uh and we'd rent a movie and 
I would buy a Hershey bar. I loved milk chocolate. Yeah, you did. I don't know when that changed. I think when I got married, my husband eats a lot of dark chocolate. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Anyway, I think milk chocolate is really gross now. It's wrong. What has been your favorite part of ministry? Favorite part of ministry? Boy, that's a hard one because there's a lot of aspects about ministry that I really love. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's been the most recent years of helping grow leaders. Mm -hmm. And that's been the most fulfilling for me. Um, I am such a bottom line kind of person that um, when it takes people longer to respond to revelation and truth, like in a local church situation where a lot of the average church member just sees church as part of their social makeup. Right. Um, you know, sometimes that was really frustrating for me. It was like, you know, why don't you want to engage and this and, you know, grow? And so in uh, leadership capacity of leading leaders, leaders have a greater tendency to absorb and try to grow from what they're learning. Yeah. And so you're seeing more results in people more quickly, more often. Okay. So that's kind of more fulfilling to me. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's ministry and you're dealing with people. And of course, there's always frustrations with, you know, anything anything and everything in personality styles and everything. So learning to get over yourself. I think one of my favorite things that I've learned just this year has been understanding emotional enmeshment. Yeah. And separating yourself from things that, you know, you've been emotionally enmeshed in, needing somebody's approval or acceptance and still holding on to yourself and valuing who you are, even though you're different from what they believe or perceive as correct or not. And so that's been a real challenge for me. And um, in the past, so learning and understanding about that has helped me so much, I think, Mm -hmm. in, um, you know, learning to not have to be in control of everything. (laughs) What? I can't imagine. Don't know anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... As a four, Mm -hmm. I struggle with that completely. I feel um, lots of feels. Uh Sure. So emotional enmeshment, as you said, is still something I recognize. Before I didn't recognize it. Mm -hmm. Now I recognize it. And I can say, why am I allowing it to affect me so much if they aren't approving of my idea or my decision? Why do they have this much power over me? Yes. Why don't I feel fine about myself knowing the path I'm on. Maybe I haven't gotten where I want to go yet, but I know I'm on a path towards it. And so whether they value that or not, I have to be able to celebrate me That's right. and value me where I'm at in my process. Yeah. And then the other thing I think is the idea of, um, you know, recognizing that God made me. Mm-hmm. And if he made me, then of course, I'm always going to be bending towards more Christ-likeness, always. But he still made my differences. And if I don't embrace them, then am I kind of rejecting God's plan? Yeah. I don't know. I just want to lean into those tensions. And not 
not to be like ruled by them or define yourself by them, but realize this is, I mean, I had a very clear mm-hmm. conversation with God uh, when I first started working with FCF about it mm-hmm. because I was struggling so much with being the weird one. Mm-hmm. I was from the spa world, the aesthetic world, not the corporate world. And so um, individualism is easily or accepted in that realm versus in a, I'm so sorry I'm saying this, but in That's a ministry. Right. Yeah. Um, now we've grown so much, we understand and sure. we, uh, not that I wasn't appreciated before, but it was just a different type of environment. You know, right. there's corporate standards and things like right. that that you have to live up to. I felt. And there's percep- personal perceptions. Yes. Because of what you were experiencing before. Yes. Sure. I felt that because I was different, I was viewed as less than. Mm. I know now, obviously, that's not the truth. No. But I had just had a clear conversation with God, and he was just like, don't you know I made you this way? Mm-hmm. You're okay. I made you this way. And it was yeah. like, oh, he did make me this way. Right. I am okay. It, yeah, absolutely. But it took me, like, at a very emotional moment, sitting at my desk going, I can't do this, <laughs> before I had that conversation yeah. with him. So, anyway... Well, now that we've gotten to know you and your heart a little bit more, let's talk about the six and fear. So the six is the loyalist. At their best, they are faithful, dependable, and self-sacrificing. They are productive, logical thinkers who put their mind toward the common good. They are clear-eyed, judges of character, and they have come to believe that everything is going to be okay in the end. Isn't that such a lovely thing to say? Yes, I wish I was a six. Me too. When I first, when I was first learning about all the enneagrams, before I knew I was a four, I was mm-hmm. like, mm, I must be a six. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, um, a six's biggest fear is fear. They have a deep-seated need to feel secure, and that can bring crazy anxiety. Mm, They overthink every situation and question everything, leaving them in analysis paralysis. Do we know any uh, famous people who are sixes? I'm sure we do. I didn't look it up. That'd be interesting to have a comparison. Malcolm X. Malcolm X was a six. Ellen DeGeneres, the first Bush president. Mark Twain. I think it's interesting that people actually sit there and decide what Enneagram these people are after they've passed away. I know. It's pretty amazing. But (laughs) they have their life's work, too. Exactly. And conversations, Uh interviews, everything to go by that. Jennifer Aniston, Ellen DeGeneres, Robert F. Kennedy, Princess Diana. Yeah. That's very interesting. I know. I'm thinking about their personalities. Or at least the personalities they portray in the media. Because, mm-hmm. of course, I'm not friends with Jennifer Aniston. But <laughs> uh, it's interesting. Fear. And what I liked or what I found interesting when I was doing this was analysis paralysis. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that isn't exclusive to a six. Mm-hmm. I think we can all go into that so easily. Absolutely. I think... The six is just a characteristic that may be more pronounced yeah. in their life than uh-huh. someone else. But yeah, it's a it's a trend 
for anyone, you can always get to a place where you overanalyze any situation. Overthink. And fear is always the base of over basis oh, for yeah. overanalysis. Absolutely. So. I just like that analysis paralysis. Uh-huh. And you think about everything, and then you just freeze. You, yeah, you can't make decisions. Too much information. Yeah, freezes you up. Interesting. Yeah. Have you, off the top of your head, have you ever led someone like that? Not off the top of my head. I mean, I'm sure I have, but... Yeah. I can think of one. Can. I can think of one that I've worked with before. And... Um, You had to walk them through every single step of the way Mm. because they saw so much of the big picture. Uh It wasn't, it wasn't just, they were either a detailed oriented person or they were a big picture person. Like I feel like a six sees all of it. Mm. And because they see all of it, they're like, I don't know where to start. So that's where that paralysis comes in. When you Mm -hmm. see too much of the big picture, or it could be, it doesn't have to be too much of big picture. It could just be the information they have is not enough information. Mm. You know, they're so detail-oriented or whatever that they have to really process it all mm-hmm. and go down the rabbit hole. Yep. Well, let's find out what Patrick has to say about fear. All right, we're in number six. This one's on fear. Todd, tee it up. Let's go. All right. Uh, Fear, probably our most primitive emotional state that uh, our brains have been created specifically with these threat detectors, the amygdalae, these things that are always on, constantly appraising our circumstances for any variable that might cause us harm. And to the point that we can perceive things that might not actually cause us harm, but we can project into the future the things that might cause us harm. Uh, so it's the amygdala, a really robust part of uh, how God designed our brains uh, because fear is such a critical part of survival. Mm. And yet, yeah. even though it's this critical part of survival, we're called to not stay stuck in our fear. Mm. We're not, we're called to experience it and created to experience it, yeah. but in healthy ways that are about the, the, uh, road in front of us, not, not thinking about 10 years from now or 10 months from now, not even paralyzed by fear with things that have happened in the past, but to kind of faithfully step-by-step step, kind of uh, walk into the future that God has designed for us and ordained for us. Uh, so fear, because of its primitive nature, can actually choke out other emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's a master emotion, it's a controller emotion, uh, and, and one that uh, we can be deceived into, we can be tricked into experiencing. Uh, I think horror movies do a great job of this. I'm not sure why people watch those because they terrify me Uh, (laughs) right but they can our bodies can be duped into really intense experiences of fear maybe a roller coaster is a Mm -hmm. uh, another type of example where we can get that rush of fear Uh, but in that sense it's more excitatory it's more thrilling Uh, so but fear uh, obviously one that uh, scripture speaks to robustly because of its power to choke out our propensity for faith Okay, so I said Patrick, and I meant Dr. Bowman. Um, He blows my mind every single time we Uh do this. So what I loved that he talked about was um, 
fear is a controller, a choker uh-huh. of other emotions. I didn't even think about that. And uh-uh. it totally does. Yeah. If you think about people that have serious trauma in their childhood, a lot of times they block out the good things that happen because of those traumatic events. They overpower yeah. all of that good stuff that did happen and they only see the bad. It's so true. Wow. That's interesting. Fear is a controller. Yeah. And then I also loved that he talked about, and I just did this recently. My husband was getting a new job. The perceived threat. The perceived threat. Yeah. I am so guilty of doing this. I call it problem solving. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Clearly it's not. But that's exactly, I was trying Mm -hmm. to solve the potential problems of my husband's new job and what difficulties that would entail. Let me just play devil's advocate here. Right? (laughs) I I seriously did. And I went into this tailspin of everything that could happen. Mm -hmm. And that was fear controlling Mm -hmm. everything else. But again, that has to go back to the controlling manner thing, right? It is. Accepting things. I mean, probably the best book I've read in a long time was most recently uh, Andy Stanley's Mm. Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that he talks about in that book is being honest with yourself, really, even to the point that it makes you upset with yourself or hurt or whatever bad feelings about yourself it's worth leaning into um am i really being honest with myself and um i think i think it helps us to have some of those thought processes um when you move into anything in life when you're trying to problem solve if because mm-hmm. it is it is a form of problem solving we just can go down a trail with it that's yeah. unhealthy right. which is what happened to you which is the perceived threat and um but if you can be honest with yourself yeah. really then i think it takes you to a place of facing the fear realizing where it comes from and then how do i deal with it mm-hmm. and um it makes for a much healthier process. Right. But we all do. Everybody builds perceived fears. And I didn't realize, like, this last two years, especially in this last year, though, I've become mm-hmm. really much more self-aware of my thought processes mm-hmm. and recognizing um, when I allow my thoughts to control me mm-hmm. and I stop and I take inventory. That's good. Um, how much better my life would have been if I had done that at an earlier age. Right? But honey, you're so much earlier than me, so good job. <laughs> but it's just, it, it's, sure. it's, it's tiring, I have to say that, because everything you do, you stop and you go, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Is it going to better me? Mm-hmm. Is it going to better the person that I'm talking to? Mm-hmm. And then if you do mess up, you have to stop and say, I messed up and go and apologize to that person mm-hmm. where before you may have just blown it off like, uh, whatever, I'll just let it go. But you don't let it go. You just mm-hmm. shove it aside. You just shove those feelings aside. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of self-preservation I have discovered. Right. And you self-preserve when you are afraid to mm-hmm. confront the thing. Exactly. It's so all, it's just another... It's a whole spiral it of fear. It is. Yeah. 
But it, I think it's interesting how much your body naturally goes into self-preservation from fear. Right. Like fear is a big deal in our brains, um, in our processes. I, we aren't even fully aware of how right. controlling it really is to not just our mind, but also our mm-hmm. body. Mm-hmm. Like when you see a car coming, what's the first thing you do? Flinch. Uh-huh. You're afraid. Your right. body goes in protective mode, right. you know? And right. I think that it, if you allow fear to rule, you're right. staying in that protective mode and you're not letting those people in that could really help you. And I think part of the thing is if we look at the word of God, how many times he tells us, fear not, don't fear. Yeah, don't. Right. So clearly the Lord knew in a fallen world that fear was a big part sure. of our emotional makeup and yeah. giving us the reassurances through his word of you be know, anxious for nothing. Uh-huh, you don't have to you don't have to engage this. He's not saying it's not real. Right. He's not saying it ignore is. it. Uh-huh. What he's saying is you don't have to engage this. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to fall into this trap because I've already made provision for you. So I've good. already carried this. I've already dealt with this in your life. So, you know, I think we've all been not all, but the majority of us have been brought up in a Christian world of these absolutes of don't fear, which brings about another kind of fear. Right. You're now you're afraid of being afraid. Uh huh. And so, so, but the reality is the not fearing part in another way to say it would simply be trust me, Mm. trust me. He's saying, trust me. Yeah, that's good. Live, live in a space of trusting him, even when you're bombarded with these feelings right. and you have to process this or you're frozen by the analysis right. paralysis that happens to us in those moments is when we can rest in him mm. and trust him and say, you know what? You saw this coming. You knew that I was going to be in this position and you already made provision for me. So I just have to press into that Mm. and I have to let go of what I'm trying to control that I clearly can't. Can't. And now I can say, you're going to walk me through this, aren't you? I'm trusting you for those steps. That's so good. Yeah. Love that. Well, now that we've listened to Dr. Bowman, let's hear what Patrick has to say on the subject. Oh my gosh. Well, the scripture tells us things like God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. We see in 1 John that perfect love cast out fear because fear has torment. And yet, often within Christian circles, there is a denial against any fear as though all fear is evil. And yet what you just described is that psychologically God designed us to have fear. It's fear that causes us in the simplicity uh, simplicity of anxiety to be able to assess a threat when a threat comes and then create, to be motivated to create a solution or an innovation to solve the problem. When it moves beyond that to where we get stuck in the fear is when we move to chronic projections into what could happen in our lives and then we live in the moment as though we are being devoured by a predator. When we think of fear in that way, so many times the angel would appear to a person and say, fear not, or Jesus would say to somebody, fear not. God would say to somebody, fear not. 
But you got to keep in mind when God himself is speaking to the heart and soul of a person, he's actually speaking it with a substance of nature that is beyond what human experience is typically thought of when he says, fear not. When he says, fear not, it, 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 it fills the environment with an intimacy and love that cannot be expressed even with human words. The whole environment soaks with his grace and so in it, there's an empowerment to fear not. Also, we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. It's in those words that there is this substance of God that just calms and supports and strengthens the heart and the soul. Well, well, well. So good. He even talked about problem solving. Uh -huh. I love, okay, so my mind went down a rabbit trail when he was talking about the angels appearing, uh -huh. um, and they always say, fear not. Uh, it made me, it reminded me of this meme I saw of this guy who said, I think it's interesting that the angel always first said, fear not, but if you look at what the angel probably looks like, it's like a crazy thing to this person. So crazy that the first thing he has to say is, fear not, don't be afraid of me. <laughs> it's just funny that's great so anyway yeah i just wonder what angels look like i really loved the process of the weight of the presence of god i know when he says you can not. if you've experienced it when he's talking about it mm -hmm. you can feel it you can sit in it and mm -hmm. remember those times where peace just envelops you yeah and it's just so sweet. It calms and stills everything on yeah. the inside. Oh, I love that. I, I do too. I feel like it goes back to what I said earlier about just um, submitting to his presence, submitting to his purposes and his will and trusting. Yeah. And when you do that, that enveloping presence of peace is just so precious. Mm -hmm. It is. I'm thinking of the best way to lead a six, to lead mm. an overthinker, someone that mm -hmm. struggles with analysis paralysis or has crazy anxiety. And I myself can struggle with some of those things, mm -hmm. just being so aware of, right. of all of the what ifs mm -hmm. or, you know, I think I think clarifying questions yeah. are really good in leading a six. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's a specific agenda that is to be accomplished mm -hmm. and um, they might get stuck in all the what ifs, you know, bringing them back to purpose, mm -hmm. bringing them back to, okay, yes. this is what we're after. Yes. And these are the bounds that we're working within. So within those bounds and the objective in mind, how can we whatever and kind of help bring them back into focus of what we're trying to accomplish and as you get in that position of helping them refocus once the focus happens then you could sit down with them and say okay now let's go through some what ifs mm -hmm. you know let's go through some potential issues that we might be facing in this mm -hmm. or have them develop it and bring it to you and that way you can sit down and go okay, well, that's really irrelevant. This is to, you know, kind mm -hmm. of walk them through so it checks things off right. their fear list right. and that's helps good. them process in a healthier way. So 
I'm reminded of a video you did in November, and we had extensive conversation on this, but just um, understanding how your brain operates in being thankful. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of that because there are times where I am just struck by fear Mm -hmm. of things. And I have to go to something tactile. Uh And so that's why when he talks about the peace of God, like for me, it is a tactile thing. I can physically feel it. And because I can physically feel it, my mind is elevated like it's your blankie what is it your blankie do you still have your blankie i do still have my blankie but no it is not my blankie i'm talking about like the physical presence of god the peace of god for me is what does it it's okay it's okay i had a blankie i sleep with it all the time it's fine it's a nice blankie okay anyway and it's not like a little baby blankie it's like a huge blanket so anyway um my son was struggling with something one night. He was struggling with fear. He was afraid of certain things. And to get him out of his head of what ifs, I had to come back to quick decisions that he could answer right there on the spot. Mm-hmm. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Yes. Okay. That is a quick decision making. You uh-huh. know. Okay. Do you believe that what it says is God's word? Yes quick so it brings him around instead of going i don't know i don't know i don't know it's Uh like yes i do yes i do Mm -hmm, and so you're bringing a quick decision to them so that they can snap out of yes i do believe this yes i do believe Mm -hmm. this so then you believe that god says i do not have the spirit of fear but of power love and a sound mind that Mm -hmm. means you are in control of your mind Mm -hmm. because god said so Mm -hmm. you don't have to let these thoughts rule your mind when you get them out of this cycle of fear Mm -hmm. and get them to make some quick decisions, Mm -hmm. then everything calms down and you can allow the peace of God to overwhelm you. Right. Um, But you have to be willing for that to happen, Mm -hmm. you know? So what I like to do is just take those quick questions. Mm -hmm. That's good. Do you do this? Yes. Do you believe this? Yes. And just those quick little things. I even have to do it to myself. Sure. Anyway. That's what I was thinking about. I like it. I wish, if you are a six, I would love to hear from you, if you could comment on this, what would be like the worst way to lead you? We all want to learn from this. This isn't just information for fun. This is so we can all grow and be better leaders. So if you're a six, please comment on this. Tell us the absolute worst way to lead you. We've talked about some good things that we can help people grow in, what the Bible says about us psychologically, how we were created. Remember, God created us with these things in us, even fear. And it goes into protection. The reason we have fear is to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. But anyway, any last thoughts? No, this was great. Fun? Yeah. She was worried about this. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about Enneagram. I've been, just recently been learning, so I was like, mm, okay. You don't have to know a whole lot about the Enneagram to have conversation about characteristic traits. Mm-hmm, that's true. And you've had a lot of experience with those. So I want to thank you so much for joining me. Also, one of the things that has completely changed our leadership style has been Red Ink Revival, which 
Patrick Norris is over. And I would suggest you guys head on over to Red Ink Revival. They are on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, they do podcasts and they deep dive into things. And it is information overload in the best possible way and will totally expand your mind to understanding your brain and being a better person, a better leader, and uh, running a healthier ministry. So head on over to Red Ink Revival. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Next time we're going to be talking about the seven, and I will have a special guest with me, so make sure you join. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the FCF Leadership Podcast. To learn more, go to fcf.org.